Thanks, Rob. No, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks. Good morning. Am I on? Good morning. Well, well, is that going to happen again? You go back here. Is that good? Well, the cat-like reflexes came through for me again. Well, I have to say, I've never followed that before. But what a treat, Heidi and the Little Big Band. And I've never preached to that either. So what a great day. It's good to see you all. And I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, speaking of friendship, which was the theme of that last song, uh, two of the uh, probably the most popular and favorite stories that many of us enjoyed have enjoyed of the last few decades have been J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, those, are, those have been popular both in book form and in the, even in the movies, people of all ages. And you may or may not know this, but the, those two sets of stories grew out of an almost historic friendship between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, know that uh, both of those men were uh, professors of ancient and medieval literature at the University of Oxford in the early to mid-20th century, and they were part of a friend group that they came to call themselves as the Inklings, and met regularly and shared their writings and um, prodded each other on. And yet, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien had a sort of unusual friendship in that... Um, Tolkien was largely responsible, or he was uh, significantly responsible for C.S. Lewis coming to the Christian faith in the early 1930s. Um, and yet over the years, as they challenged each other and sometimes had disagreements, as they encouraged each other in their writings, they, they some would suggest, wrote each other into their tales. And they also had uh, various kinds of fallings out, as any long-term, long-time friendship has. Some have even suggested that Tolkien's character, Treebeard, he wrote after C.S. Lewis because of C.S. Lewis's booming oratorial voice. Uh, and some also suggest that uh, if you've ever read Lewis's science uh, fiction trilogy, uh, his first installation of that called Out of the Silent Planet has a central character named Dr. Ransom, who's a philologist, a studier of languages. And uh, the suggestion is that he wrote that character, Dr. Ransom, after his buddy, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, what's so fascinating about that and many other friendships is that there's something about our humanity, the depths of our humanity that is, is really vividly on display in friendship. And so today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to kind of follow on the theme that, that Jim's been tracking for these last few weeks and talk about the distinctiveness of Christian faith in terms of friendship in a world of fear. Uh, friendship in some ways might seem kind of peripheral uh, to what's really important in life. It might seem optional, ornamental. But if we stop and think about it, we realize that friendship is universally recognized as central to who we are. And we wrestle with it, and we struggle with it, and we hunger after it in all kinds of ways. Some of you are uh, old enough, along with me, to remember uh, in 1975, the, the band War and their great tune, Why Can't We Be Friends? Okay, now, true confession, I want to know who remembers that from when you were in high school, okay? Yeah, why can't we be friends? In fact, we may want to see, uh, we may want to test the 
uh, extemporaneous skills of Heidi and her little big band to see if they could pull off a version of that for us afterward. Why can't we be friends? Um, but friendship is something that we find, uh, it, you know, TV shows will wrestle with it in comic form, whether it's the old, you know, the odd couple or the more recent friends. Um, in, uh, in the early 2000s, the Gallup organization did a poll, and to my surprise, when I found this, uh, they showed that the average American, whatever the average American is, there is such a thing, claims to have nine friends, which I thought was pretty high and pretty encouraging. And the average American also uh, reports a pretty high degree of satisfaction in friendships. But at the same time, friendship pulls us in all kinds of different directions, doesn't it? Um, Sometimes our friendships are split up because of relocation and circumstances that we can't avoid, but sometimes even the best of friendships come to odds and come to tragic ends. And then at other times, we, we sort of trivialize friendship when we use uh, words like just to talk about friends. Oh, they're just friends. Um, sometimes marriages dissolve because people have never learned to be friends. And so friendship, friendship is far deeper than maybe we, we give it credit for. And maybe, just maybe, even if we have lots of friends and we're really satisfied with our friends and really enjoy our friends and benefit from our friends, maybe many of us aren't quite as good at friendship as we, we might think we are. Because friendship can be both the source of our our greatest delight and some of our deepest disappointments. We, we hurt each other. We let each other down. We sometimes abandon each other. We disappoint each other. We get awkward with each other. But the, the uniqueness of the Christian faith is, is demonstrated in how we understand friendship and how we practice friendship. And this is friendship, a very different sort of friendship in a world of fear. And that's, that's not merely because we're made for relationships, which we are. Many affirm that. There's no news there. But it's because friendship is not merely a, a, a psychological need. It's not merely a sociological phenomenon, a sociological construct. It's not that. Friendship starts with God. And knowing God can help us learn what it means, really, to be friends. So let's look at at how that is the case. There are a, a few places in Scripture where we find friendship mentioned very specifically. But the background to that is that outside of um, the, the Christian faith and the God whom Christians worship, historically, God has been viewed by most people as either remote or hostile, sometimes indifferent, impersonal, or in, in various ways, people have felt that they had to prove themselves to God. They had to lose themselves in order to find God. Uh, sometimes people will go through all kinds of fanciful religious and impressive religious protocols, just trying to find a way to buy the gods off so that they would show them favor. Sometimes they find ways through their religion to hide from the gods or to, to try to manufacture the gods' presence with them or sometimes just to do what they can do to get the gods to stay out of their way. 
leave them alone. We find this even in some, some ancient Egyptian ritual, rituals as one example, uh, where there are actually some positive portrayals of their gods, and yet those gods were remote except through some kind of intermediary, and normally was the king. The Bible, however, presents us with a, a strikingly different picture than that of God. Because after humanity walks away from God, God pursues them. God pursues us. And we get an early hint of this in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 18, where God chooses seemingly randomly, I mean, to us seemingly randomly, he chooses an old man and an old woman named Abram and Sarai. And he chooses them to start a line from which God would bring redemption to the entire world. And it's curious, isn't it, that God would choose two people who were long beyond childbearing age just to, st to show the pattern of how God does stuff. God never works according to conventional um, protocols, conventional rules. God always does things in the impossible way. But in verse 17 of Genesis 18, God uh, asks this rhetorical question. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And that's a staggering statement if you stop and think about it. And if you compare that to how people understood God or the gods all around the world at that time. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And asked rhetorically, of course, the answer is no. I'm going to show Abraham what I'm about to do. In other words, I'm going to come close to Abraham. I'm going to enter into a sort of relationship with Abraham, and I'm going to tell him what I'm up to. And then God goes on to make a, a personal commitment, what the Bible calls a covenant uh, with Abraham, and, and to interact with him. And later on in the Old Testament, in two different places, Abraham was referred to as the friend of God. The first of those places is in the historical book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 7. And the situation here is that by this time, the nation of Israel has divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Judah, which is the southern kingdom, was under uh, threat from an alliance of other nations. And Judah knew they could not win. They were, they were doomed. But their king, whose name was Jehoshaphat, prayed to God in front of the whole nation. He prayed to, to God for protection, and he appealed to God's power and God's commitment to his people because Abraham was God's friend. That was the basis of his appeal for God to protect him. Abraham, our father, was your friend. The second place is much later in the Old Testament. It's in the uh, book of Isaiah, the, this big book of prophecy. Isaiah 41, chapter 8. The setting there is that God... Was, was trying to encourage people. His, the whole nation of Israel was under captivity to this massive, uh, powerful nation of Babylon. And while they felt weak, they felt vulnerable, they felt small, God contrasts his own power and his own presence to that of the Babylonians because the Babylonians had to work feverishly to manufacture these idols so that their gods would supposedly go along with them. And our God even kind of seems to make fun of them, where he talks about how, how, um, uh, how diligently they worked in their various trades to make these idols 
And then they would put them on carts, and they would nail the base of these idols to the platform of the cart so they wouldn't fall off while they were traveling. And yet God says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, you whom I've chosen, you are descendants of Abraham, my friend. God himself refers to Abraham as his friend. He says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I've called you. I've said, you are my servant. I've chosen you, and I have not rejected you. Well, after these two Old Testament references to Abraham being God's friend, scroll forward into the New Testament, the book of James, and James refers back to Abraham being God's friend, and he says he was God's friend because Abraham trusted God when he was put to the test. Exodus 33, go back a little bit, find a different character, Moses, familiar character. And Exodus 33, 11 describes this relationship that Moses had with God. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So with both Abraham and with Moses, God pursued this sort of unprecedented type of relationship. God pursued them. God allowed them into God's own thinking about things, into, into his plans. God self-disclosed, and God committed. And by choosing Abraham, God was choosing all of Abraham's descendants and calling the entire nation of Israel God's son. And so in light of everything that, that people thought about God's in those days, it's really astonishing, isn't it, that God would describe people as friends. But frankly, the story gets even more interesting than that because God's intention for his people culminates in Jesus Christ, who, as many of you know, is later on called God's son. In other words, through Jesus, God opens the way for all people to experience redemption, for all people to experience forgiveness, for all people to experience restoration and new life. And Jesus gets that started with this this band of 12 people, this team. And shortly before he completes his own mission by giving his life to shoulder God's judgment against all sin and to do it on our behalf, shortly before he does that, he has an evening with his team. And John, the Gospel of John chapter 15, uh, sounds the same as when God spoke to Abraham and Moses. Here's what Jesus said to his band of 12. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So with that in view, what does it mean? What does it mean to be... God's friend. Is that me or somebody behind me? Let's see if I can get behind me here. Hi. Okay. <laughs> what does it really mean to be God's friend? And, and why does it matter to be God's friend? Well, contrary to what many may think in our culture today or the way many may treat friendship, I think these models show us that friendship is actually the highest or the deepest, the most significant, and the most enduring form of human relationship. Uh, some will, will want to say that, that marriage or other forms of human intimacy are, um, this, this is great. I just, I hope this is being recorded because this is too good. 
and we have to be friends to make this work, right? Okay. So paid no attention to the man behind the curtain here. But you know, when, when we talk about friendship as if it's just a step towards some other higher or deeper form of, of human relationship, we've got it backwards. Because what the scripture suggests is that there is nothing more enduring, nothing more significant than to be friends. And that's even true when we compare friendship to marriage. Because uh, Jesus tells us in the New Testament that in the, in the new heaven and new earth, when God, uh, when God restores all things and brings in the, the kingdom of God with fullness, that marriage won't be a thing. But we still will be friends. Friendship is eternal even if marriage is not. So we, we really get it backwards and we diminish it when we say that people are just friends or uh, that we, we treat friendship as a lower form of relationship because friendship involves sacrifice. Friendship involves mutuality. It involves trust. It involves sacrificial love. And friendship matters because we serve a God who wants to make us his friends. Let me say that again. Friendship matters because we serve a God who wants to make us his friends. And that can challenge us, that can change us significantly, no matter how many friends we have, no matter how, <clears throat> no matter how good we think we are at friendship. Because friendship with God is what this thing we call the gospel is all about. The gospel, this good news that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Through Christ, forgiveness of sins and redemption and, and restoration is offered to all people. That gospel is the recognition and the restoration of who we are, and it's the bringing of us into friendship. It makes possible for us friendship that's far more than just a, a pleasant thing, far more than just a, a, a fun distraction or a psychological need fulfilled. Gospel, God, God wants to make us his friend, and God crosses the chasm that we've created between ourselves and God and gives us what we need so that we can be restored and be his friend. And to be God's friend means that the one, that one being God who knows us exhaustively, who knows us without any limits, still extends himself to us in friendship. Now that alone ought to challenge and transform our notion of friendship that we can be absolutely and utterly known. There's nothing we can hide or need to hide from God. God still extends friendship to us. Why? So that we can have life restored to us. And this friendship, friends, will change the way we relate to God. It'll change the way we pray. It might even change whether you pray. Because what would it be like to, to pray to a God who knows you exhaustively and extends himself to you and makes you his friend? You can pray to that. That would change the way you pray. And it spills over into the way we engage relationship or friendship with other people. Um, it's, it's what we're made for. Now, you may have lots of friends, and some of your friendships may be deep, and they may be very satisfying. Or some of your friendships may be rather safe and at a surface level. Maybe you're so busy and so task-oriented that you don't think you have much time 
for friends. Could be... Time out. Oh, there we go. Okay. I'm back. I'm back. It, it could be that maybe you've had bad experiences with friendships. It could be that you've been hurt or, or betrayed or abandoned by friends. It could be, and this is probably the case with all of us, that we're on both ends of that equation. That at times we've done the hurting. At times we've done the abandoning. And for those reasons, and maybe many, or, many more, you might be in kind of a protective mode when it comes to friendships. But the gospel, God's extension of friendship, gives us an entirely new baseline for what friendship is. And it calls us forward to let God heal those wounds that we've incurred in friendship and maybe forgive the wounds that we've inflicted. It lets us find life in growing toward being the kind of friend God is to us. A friend with sacrificial love, a friend who can risk a friend who can discover all of the unique things in another person that we can't control or predict, but a friend who's a life giver. It was a little over nine years ago that my, uh, my younger brother, uh, tragically and very surprisingly to all of us, took his own life. And when, uh, after my family and I flew to Florida for his funeral, which I had the the horrible honor of conducting. My, uh, my closest friend of probably 35 years, all the way back to college and our wedding at that time, drove all the way from Tennessee down to Orlando, Florida to be with my family. And he sat with our family during the, uh, the family time. And then he walked down the aisle with our family as our family proceeded into uh, the funeral home. And then he sat with my dad. Why are you here? They forgot to put this on. So that you don't have the wind. It's not every man I allow to play with my face like that. <laughs> Only my friends. You had to put a windsock on this thing. So my friend, um, my friend from Tennessee walked down the aisle with my family. And while I had to stand in front of my family and conduct my own brother's funeral service, my friend sat with my parents with his arm around them because I couldn't be there. And that is iconic for me of the kind of thing that a friend will do, but in some ways a friend can only do if they know what true friendship is, if they have been befriended by God. Victor Lee Austin has a, a recent book on friendship that I find excellent. He, he offers three markers of genuine friendship. Trust, open discourse, and sacrificial love. If you pull all those together, you'll find exactly what God gives to us when God calls us to be his friends. We can look at a, at a lot of historic friendships through 
uh, the centuries, even through the last few decades, and that can pull us deeper. Uh, Lewis and, and Tolkien. But if you look a few centuries back, some of you will remember the name William Wilberforce, who was a member of the British Parliament and was highly instrumental in the British government outlawing slavery. But William Wilberforce was befriended by a woman named Hannah Moore, a very little-known figure, and her friendship with Wilberforce was very instrumental in him having the courage and the vision and the, the foresight and the wisdom to continue to battle for enslaved peoples in the British Parliament. See, friends don't just please us. They don't just give us a, a fun diversion. They don't merely uh, give us a an opportunity for, for good times and laughs. Friends change us. And that's the kind of friend God is to us through the gospel. It changes us. It restores us. Gives us ourselves back. And with God as our friend, it will change our friendships if we're willing. Now, here are some of the questions that we, we can ask ourselves because of how God makes us friends. Does my friendship invite trust and openness about the most important matters of life? Can I go there? Am I willing to go there with my friends? Do I have that type of friend and, and am I that type of friend? Do I pursue that type of thing in my friendships? We can, we can deepen our friendships because of the gospel when we see uh, friends mostly as a diversion, mostly as a, uh, a, an option. We can deepen those friendships and realize how central and life-giving they really are. We can deepen friendships even if we only have you know, safe, uh, safe friendships or surface-level friendships. We can open friendships with, with people who are very different from ourselves, who see things and think about things very differently from ourselves and see what we learn. We can re-engage friendships that perhaps we've let grow cold. And we can seek to reconcile friendships that perhaps have been broken or gotten crossways. You know, even if you're if doing well in your friendships, even if you have lots of friends, and if you do, I'm grateful. I'm glad for you. No matter how well we're doing, no matter how poorly we're doing in friendships, the gospel shows us friendship in a whole new world. This is friendship in a world not driven by fear. Because this is a world of friendship where God pulls us to relate to God's own self as a friend, to trust him, to open ourselves to him, and to be willing to follow him and to, to trust him enough to follow his way as the way. And so, friends, that, uh, that leaves us with this single question. What would change in your friendships if you knew that God actually wanted to relate to you as a friend. Friendship matters because we serve a God who wants to make us friends. And that changes everything. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God, our Father, we uh, approach you now maybe in a way that's unconventional or unfamiliar for many of us. And that is as friend. And that, that feels strange in some ways because you're still God, you're still our creator, you're still the one alone who can give us life and redeem our lives. You're still the transcendent one. And yet that makes it even more amazing, all the more amazing, that you want to call us friends. And we pray that you would help us see the, the impact of that on all of our, our friendships, our human friendships, our, other, our relationships. 
and maybe most significantly, help us, God, to respond to you, to trust you, to open ourselves to you, to follow you as your friend. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our friend. Amen. Are you going to lead him in communion? Okay. Before we uh, depart for communion, let me just say uh, this is one of my best friends right here. We've done a lot together over the years, haven't we? Been through a lot together. Yeah. Thank you for uh, blessing us. The um, Nancy and I were going to be gone today, but uh, I was asked to do something very, very special. So I came back. Wendy and Lauren Vosser, and as soon as we're done with the communion, for those of you that want to hang around, we're going to do a vow renewal. This is our 40th anniversary today. And one vow renewal is worth 200 weddings to a pastor. You know why? Because most weddings or marriages don't make it that long, first of all. And those that do, there aren't many that feel that sense of the spirit of how excited they are and want to renew the vows. So when they asked me, I said, I'll be back. So Nancy and I just got here. How many of you experienced a different kind of worship this morning? It's so funny, just walking over here, several of you asked me about it, so let me explain it to you. Here's our position as a church, that whoever is up here is offering gifts to you. So when I preach, I'm offering a gift. Don offered his gift this morning, and this morning we had this. Thank you, Heidi, for coming, and all of you. I didn't have a chance to see you beforehand. Thanks for bringing us your gift as well. And sometimes we sing together, and sometimes you get to listen. But it's still a gift from the Lord. And scriptures have so much to say about listening to the Lord as well as participating. So I don't know if that answers your questions. Feel free to email me if you kind of felt it a little bit challenging. But that's what we were doing this morning, was offering you a different kind of gift than what you're used to. We love it. We just love doing it. In preparation for communion, uh, for those of you that are visitors, this is the way we typically close our service. And um, we have communion tables here, 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 and here on all four sides. When you come up, somebody's going to say the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And uh, so this is our way of saying goodbye. Uh, For those of you that like to give, we have places at each table to give, uh, though I know that most of you give either through mail or online. Thank you once again for, as we say every Sunday, for being so kind to us and so generous and taking good care of us, because you do. So that's how we end our time. If you would like to celebrate with the Vossers, then come on back. And we'll be here for about 15 or 20 minutes. And about 15 minutes from now, we'll gather together and be there for another 15 minutes or so. And you get a chance to see something that you don't see often in our world today. Two people renewing their vows because their marriage is great great. Lauren is one of our elders, a model of what we should all be. I hope to get there one day. Thank you. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your kindness, for your generosity. Thank you for my good friend Don speaking on a topic that is uh, so delightful to me and so wonderful. Friendship. Thank you for him. And uh, thanks for laughing with us and being blessed by us. And now bless us as we uh, pause and remember your son.
In his name we pray. Amen. So uh, enjoy the peace of Christ. You're dismissed to go have communion, and it's time to put your mask back on.
All right, we got one more tune for you while you're, you're uh, leaving this morning. This is a benediction. This is our jazz benediction. This is Bless You. Uh, made famous by Peggy Lee and Mel Torme. Just talking about blessing the good that is inside of us and uh, recognizing the image of God in everyone around us. So this is Bless You. Just turn right around and chase it away. Oh, bless you 
much. I hope that you feel energized and encouraged. And uh, yes. Yes. Whatever. Okay. Great. Thanks, guys. That was really fun. Yeah.